Good morning. Again, this is going to be, we're going to add things a step at a time. We started simple and then get our ducks in a row and then add different elements to the service as we go on. So what we're going to start is some announcements and we're going to just dive right into the message. We're thinking about the Ten Commitments and then we'll be excused and then we'll be able to associate and socialize outside. But again, it's, it's nice to see everybody. It's been a long haul. And I know that we are tired of having to deal with the complexities of the pandemic. And so let's dive in. We're thinking about the Ten Commitments. And last week, we looked at commitment number one, God sees me. I'm going to read from um, 40 Days with the Ten Commitments, day two, and commitment number two. The text is Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. God sees me. This could easily feel unsettling and disturbing. Something like being placed under surveillance and having your home and office bugged. With God, though, he is able to tap your brain, not merely your phone. He knows our thoughts and attitudes. He knows our words before we speak them. God sympathizes with me. This changes everything. God's watchful gaze is like that of a loving parent or a caring shepherd. The light of God's scrutiny is like that of a doctor's office, not that of an interrogation room. God's sympathy assures us that he understands our weaknesses. He understands the pull of conflicting desires that each of us deals with. He is able to sympathize with us because Jesus Christ, God the Son, experienced this conflict personally. God's sympathy is not the distant pity of one whose hands have never been dirty. His, he is able, no, his is the close compassion of one whose hands have touched our soil and whose lungs have breathed our air. You can speak freely with God. Pull up a chair. Let's talk about God's sympathy. And as we do so, let's think together about three questions that relate to God's sympathy. Let's think about what Let's think about who, and then let's think about why, with respect to sympathy. What? What did God's sympathy, divine sympathy, mean to a first century Greek speaker? The word sympathy comes from two words, sum and pathos. Greek words, sum and pathos. Sum is easy. Sum means with. So the thing we need to understand is the word pathos because sympathize is the ability to do that with somebody. Pathos, when we think of that, we think of human feelings and impulses. And with the way they understood it at the time, it's human feelings and impulses which a man does not produce within himself. But 
finds already present. And so when you think of human feelings and impulses, what you're talking about are things that rise up from within yourself, and you don't control them. You know, you, you wake up in the morning and they're there. You know, there's these thoughts and feelings. Sometimes we can dial in feelings and impulses, but the way they understood it in the first century, you really can't dial it in, and that's really true, isn't it? We don't really control how we feel. You know, sometimes things are going great, we feel lousy. Sometimes things are going lousy, we feel great. Feelings tend to be kind of uncontrollable, and that's what makes it difficult. But that's what pathos meant to a first century person. Feelings and impulses, which man does not call upon, but which rise from within him, and feelings and impulses by which we can be carried away. So that's the deal with the word pathos. Feelings and desires that well up within, we don't control, and feelings and impulses which can carry and drag us away. To sympathize, then, is to understand these kind of feelings. They can be positive or negative, but most of the time, when describing this word, we are thinking of unwanted unwelcome feelings. To sympathize, then, is to know what it's like to be indwelt by unwanted, unwelcome thoughts and feelings. I'll ask you a question. Think about somebody that if you have a feeling or a thought, you don't necessarily like having it, but you just can't make it go. I want you to think of somebody who you could be comfortable sharing that thought with and the feeling. Think of the person. Who's a person that when you have some things bugging you, you can sit down with them, say, hey, can I talk with you for a minute? Here's the deal. And you tell them and, and they're open. They don't judge you. They don't say, well, that's stupid. They make room for it. I want you to think of that person. Do you have a face? Think about what the person's like. That's sympathy. Now I want you to think of a person that you would not feel free opening up with. Think of a person that you really have to button your top button and be very careful. If you kind of act out of character, they're going to jump on you. Think of that person. That's the absence of sympathy. And um, when we think of who well, here's what it says, Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus sympathizes with us, and what that means, he knows what it's like to experience feelings welling up within himself, feelings that he didn't choose and didn't necessarily want to experience. Here's what he said in John chapter 12. In the last week of his life, he said, Now my heart is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It's for this very reason I came to this hour. When he says troubled, the word for troubled is agitated. And what Jesus is saying, now my heart's agitated. And he didn't dial it in, but he just found it that was the case. 
The idea of being agitated, if you think of the way washing machines used to be, now when you put it in the wash cycle, most newer machines, the top locks. You know, it used to be that you could open the lid anytime during the cycle. So you open the lid, and anybody remember doing that? Please, somebody raise your hand. Thank you very much. Thank you for doing that. Um, you know, the way it used to be, you know, that you could do the thing, and you see anything, you know, you could see the, that's, that thing is called an agitator. And when Jesus talked about, now my heart is troubled, he's saying, my, my heart is agitated. That's the way he felt inside. His emotions were churned up. Um, what, he, what we find then is um, Jesus experienced agitation. We experience agitation. And in order to sympathize with us, Jesus had to experience it. Here's what it says in Hebrews 2. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. I want you to think of the difference between angels and people. Angels are unembodied spirit beings. They're spirits that don't have a body. And we, by contrast are embodied spirit beings. We are spirit beings housed in a body. And that means we have not one set of desires, but two. We have body desires and spirit desires. Angels are only spirit beings. They have one set of desires, spirit desires. So they're not very conflicted. You and I, we're different. We have body desires and spirit desires. It's like we have two different operating systems, and they don't always pull in the same... In fact, frequently they don't. So we are inhabited by conflicting feelings. Because Jesus helps us, he had to become like us. And when you think of Jesus then, is Jesus more like an angel or more like us? Clearly, Jesus was and is an embodied spirit being. He came into this world through a womb, and when he left, did he leave his body behind? No. Once he entered a body, he stayed with it. You know what that means? He's like us. He knows what it's like to be indwelt by body desires and spirit desires. Jesus knows what it's like to experience conflicting internal desires. Remember what he said? the night before he went back, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, did he want to die? That's a tough question, isn't it? Yes and no. When we think of desires, we usually use the word or. Do I feel this or that? But you know what? A better conjunction when we're talking about thoughts and feelings is not or. It's and. Jesus didn't want to die, and he did want to die. He had body desires and spirit desires. And here's what he said. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Like us, Jesus experienced conflicting internal desires. Unlike us, he was without sin. He didn't sin. Remember, do you remember what pathos means? Human feelings and impulses, which a man does not produce within himself, but 
he finds already present and human feelings and impulses by which he can be carried away. Um, Jesus didn't allow the feelings he experienced to carry him away. Uh, He didn't let unwelcome, unwanted feelings drag him away into sinful actions. I want you to think of what do we do when we feel what we don't want to feel? I want you to think about it. A feeling you don't like to have. Maybe it hits you in the morning on days where you're going to be busy or maybe days where you're not going to be busy. You're going to be isolated and alone. I want you to think about having feelings that you don't want. Can you, can you, can you zero in on some? That feeling you hate to feel. Um, When we feel what we don't want to feel, we try to change it. We try to change our expectations. I want you to think about a feeling maybe you feel because somebody did something to you. And then what we try to do is, well, I shouldn't feel this way. You know, they were just doing this and I was just doing this. And sometimes we can push our feelings out of the way. We can dislodge them so that they don't stay there. Sometimes we can change not ourselves. And some of us kind of automatically try to change our expectations. We try to change what we want so that what we get lines up with what we want and we don't feel conflicted anymore. Okay. Some of us, we don't fix ourselves, we fix others. Why did you do that? And we change what other people do. But in either way, what we're trying to do is we're trying to change our feelings. And when we can do this, we feel okay. When we can't do it, that's hard. When we try to push a feeling out of the way and you can't do it, you feel powerless. And that's, you know what happens when we feel powerless? We feel kind of either resentful, because if somebody did something to make you feel something, then the tendency is, well, thanks a lot. (laughs) Thanks a bunch for doing that. Now, now I got to feel this feeling. No, we don't necessarily say that, but that's what we think. Sometimes it's not resentment that we feel, where we kind of hold others in contempt. Sometimes we hold ourselves in contempt. And we feel remorseful. Why am I such a, why do I deal with that and and this? When we can't change our feelings, that's when we can become kind of addicted to mood-altering substances and behaviors. If chronically enough, if you experience feelings you don't want to have, what you end up doing is finding ways to change your feelings fast. The problem with addiction, it changes the feeling. But once the impact of whatever you use, once that wears away, the feeling comes back stronger. And you have to use more. It can really be a trap and a cycle. And it's all all about trying to change our feelings. And if we can't, we become anxious and depressed. In order to be without sin, Jesus needed to learn to tolerate unwelcome, unwanted feelings. You know what Jesus did? Think about what he said the night before he died. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. You know what he's saying? I don't want to die. And yet he said, but your will be done. Um, What he did, and this sounds easy, but it's not. He observed his feelings. There were body desires. I don't want to die. There were spirit desires, but I do want to die. And he didn't exclude either one of them. He didn't use or, 
he used and. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but and thy will be done. Um, He not only observed his feelings, he expressed them to the Father. He had the understanding that he could talk to God and tell God what he was really thinking and feeling. And what he said again, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. How was Jesus able to do this? Would you agree with me? It's hard to accept the feelings that we have, more difficult to express them, really hard to express them to God. That's what Jesus could do. Why was he able to do this? I think Jesus believed something that we have a really hard time believing. Jesus believed something that we have a really, really difficult time believing. He knew the Father didn't judge his feelings, so he didn't judge them. Now, he didn't like his feelings, maybe, but he, just because he didn't like them, he didn't call them bad. How was he able to pull that off? You know what he understood? Well, here's what he said. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. When he talks about coming to this hour, he's not just talking about dying. Well, Jesus is saying, my heart is troubled, like an agitator or like a storm at sea. And what he's thinking and telling the Father, he goes, what should I say, God, take me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Because if I don't experience agitated emotions, how will they know that I sympathize with them? How can I sympathize with them if I don't know what agitation feels like? And they need to know that I, will, that I sympathize with them. Jesus came not just to die, but to experience unwelcome, unwanted feelings so that we wouldn't have to feel alone as we dealt with them. Sympathy is, well, it was really the Father's idea. When I think of God's sympathy, I think of Jesus because he's the one who is embodied. God is not the Father, is a spirit being. Jesus is an embodied spirit. But Jesus came to earth not because he wanted to, but because the Father sent him. Why? Here's why. It is really important that we understand God sympathizes with us. It's really, really important. You say, why? Well, you can't really solve a problem until you understand it. You know what Jesus said? He said it a lot. Don't judge or you will be judged. Don't judge. You know what we judge? We judge others and we judge ourselves. When we have, do, or think something, we, what's, you're so stupid. Some of us say that to ourselves. Idiot. Stupid. Some of us don't say it to ourselves, we say it to others. Why do we do that? Because we judge the feeling. I shouldn't feel this. Christians shouldn't feel this way. That's what we, that's what we think. Um, we judge ourselves, and then we attack the thoughts and feelings we judge. Judgment is the problem. It's a problem, big problem. What's the solution? Four words, very, very straightforward, very simple. This is not complex. 
but very difficult to apply. Here's what James says. James 2, verse 12. Listen to me. And maybe you can remember this and memorize it. Four words. It's going to talk about judgment and what is it that can be stronger than judgment. And if we could apply this, we might be able to be less caustic with ourselves or less caustic with others. Four words. The last three are triumphs over judgment. What do you imagine is strong enough to triumph over judgment? Here's what it says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You remember those words? Four, not very difficult. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment kills us spiritually. And sympathy is the cure. In order to produce mercy, God sent his son to be a source of sympathy. I'd like you to remember this. Jesus' sympathy isn't nice. It's necessary. If we are going to become less judgmental with ourselves and others, we have to experience mercy. We don't need somebody pointing a finger at us because that just makes the problem worse. This doesn't triumph over judgment. This does. Sympathy does. Somebody who understands that you can express things to, that you can share things with. If you have a person like that, that's what helps overcome judgment. And Jesus is that person. And the Father sent him so that he could understand. Make room for Jesus' sympathy. Make room for it. Think about it. Dial it in. You say, why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And if you want to be gentler with yourself and with others, there's only one way, apparently. Dial into the mercy and sympathy of God. And slowly, you'll find that you'll become a little less harsh with yourself and others. It takes time. But anything really worthwhile does. Um, I'm going to close with a verse. It says in Hebrews we also have had the gospel or good news preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. You see, good news can't really help us if we don't believe it and make room for it. Here's what I'm going to suggest. Make room in your mind for God's commitments. Think about them. Ponder them. Because as you do so, you'll begin to believe them deeply. And you'll find your attitude will change. Think about the fact that God sees you. God sympathizes with you. We'll tell next week God deals gently with you. God loves you. God changes you. God chooses you. Good is ahead of you. 
Good is guaranteed to you. God gives you the power to persevere. God gives you the power to be content. Think about them so that your the roots of your faith go down more deeply into them. If you haven't been through it for a while, go back through it. If you've never been through it, 40 days with the Ten Commitments, it will help you think about his commitments. And if we think about them and believe that God is faithful to keep these commitments today, which is the hard part of it, we need to believe that God sees us today and God sympathizes with you, not in the future, but today. He knows what you're thinking and feeling, and when we dial in his sympathy, uh, we find the ability to become the people he wants us to be. Uh, I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, feelings come unbidden, and it's, we really can't get rid of them. Some feelings we like, many feelings we don't. You sympathize with unwelcome, unwanted feelings. That's what sympathy means. You don't understand what it's like to have these feelings appear. You didn't banish them, though. You recognized them and expressed them because you understood that the Father wasn't judging them and you didn't. You understood that you were sent to feel them. Now, we're a little bit different, but you would have us understand that you sympathize with us. And as we make room for that, we gradually find ourselves to be a little bit more tolerant. We feel less alone in our feelings because you, we understand that you might not have felt the exact same feeling, but you did experience agitation. You did. You experienced being inhabited by unwelcome, unwanted feelings, and you can understand us. And as we recognize that and believe it, little by little, we feel less alone, a little less judgmental, a little bit more gentle, a little bit more Christ-like. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.